Welcome to Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel, the number eight, ed.com. Now, here's your host, Craig Shoemaker. Hey, welcome back to Pixelate. And you know, it's not always easy getting it right. Today, we're talking to Pete LePage, product manager for Internet Explorer Developer Division, where he's going to tell us about the top 10 web mistakes he's seeing out in the wild. He's also going to frame it in the context of what's coming up with Internet Explorer and how it'll make it easier for us as developers to make the experience a whole lot easier for the people using our websites. For show notes, please go to getpixelated.com slash shows slash mistakes. Okay, you know, I don't know if, if you often get a chance to check out the show notes. But this is one show that you probably want to check out the page because uh, there's some really interesting things for you to take a look at. Now, I, I was trying to do some research. We're talking to Pete LePage about mistakes being made on building websites. And I'm like, you know, I've got to just see what else is out there. So <laughs> I went to Google and just typed web design mistakes. And there is a lot, but there's a few here that I want to bring to your attention. There's a gentleman by the name of Vince Flanders that runs a website, Web Pages That Suck. And he gives awards for the worst web websites of the year. And so some of the stuff is pretty funny. Some of it is really actually very, uh, you just can't believe your eyes. You can't believe what's going on. Uh, but he did a video that's up on YouTube of an organization that's for the, the medical use of marijuana. And he has this, this hilarious review of their site. Because <laughs> when, you, when you look at it above the fold, it looks okay. And as you scroll down, you see more of it, and uh, his his conjecture is that um, perhaps they were using the substance they're advocating for more than uh, medical purposes, and, and and kept designing the site out of it. So, anyways, um, if you get a chance, I, I put the video in the show notes. You have to check it out. Uh, there's another website that he found last year that topped the list of the worst websites. And it's, it's since been changed, the, the company that did it, they figured out that, that you can't build sites like this. But I've never seen anything like it. You went to the page, white background with blue links, you know, doesn't, doesn't look bad. It doesn't look evil. It doesn't look like it would harm you. But as you moused over these, these links, the background color would change into these, just the brightest colors, brightest web safe colors there are in the palette. And each link would change colors, so it'd start to flicker, and it would—it literally, I, it's the first time I've ever been to a website where I, I walked away in pain. So, you know, check out the, the show notes. I think you'll find it pretty entertaining and, and hopefully instructive as well. Okay, well, I get a star next to my name for something that Pete's going to talk to us about here for a second, and that is lousy content on your website. Last week, I linked to a blog post in the show notes and on my blog called Easier Debugging with Attributes, and uh, I, I attributed it to the wrong person. So Rob Prouse was the guy who wrote that article. But, you know, I'm glad that I made that mistake because now I went back to Rob's blog and spent more time there and, and found out that he's really got a lot of very good, solid content over at his blog. So I'm subscribing to it. I hope you get a chance to check it out. He's blogging over at alterdem.net, A-L-T-E-R-D-E-M.net. <laughs> On the Infragistics front, I just want to tell you about uh, some classes that we have coming up. We've got a WPF Foundation Bootcamp class coming up. Uh, it's instructor-led. It gives you uh, basically a really firm foundation in uh, WPF, and there's we have a number of different dates going on. So please go to the show notes. Uh, I have a link down there at the bottom of the page. Check it out. If you want to learn WPF, this is a great way to get started because we all know from... Uh, 
even from the guests that we've talked to here, the learning curve is huge. So it's always good to get some help. Well, I'd like to bring on Pete. I got a chance to catch up with him at TechEd. This was the last thing. This was right after his talk. It was the last thing he was he was going to do before he was headed out to do some relaxing. So it was nice to be able to sit down and talk to him uh, about his session, but also about how Internet Explorer fits into the picture of creating websites that don't stink. So here's Pete LePage, Product Manager for Internet Explorer Developer Division. So we're here at TechEd 2008 with Pete LePage, Product Manager for Internet Explorer. You just got done with one of your sessions talking about the, the top 10 mistakes that people make in building websites. How'd it go? I think it went really well. I had a lot of good feedback from the audience and we talked about a lot of really interesting things that bug all of us. What, what you kind of talked about a little bit was, was the, the top 10 mistakes or, or pain points that people face when they build websites. Can, can you run through some of those for us? Yeah, absolutely. One of, the, one of the things we were talking about is how designers and developers create mistakes that are both problems for them, but as well problems for the user. So the first one that I w talked about was errors in code. For a lot of developers and designers, creating code that validates isn't super important. It doesn't matter if their code validates or not. But using a code validation tool really helps you to understand where you may be causing problems in your code, giving issues to future developers. And sometimes, if there's problems in your code, things just aren't going to render right in certain browsers. So that's that was my number 10 item. Is there now uh, a, a tool within Internet Explorer that for developers as they load up their page they can go to a, a console window or something that shows validation errors? Internet Explorer doesn't have anything built in in beta 1, but the W3C has a validation tool. So if you go to validators.w3c.org, you can actually enter in your URL or up, or if you've got an intranet site, you can upload an HTML file or anything like that and it'll validate it there and tell you where the problems in your HTML file are. So number 9 was not isolating hacks. A lot of people, um, they end up having to deal with different browser bugs in different ways. But if you don't isolate those hacks in, in one specific place, it makes it really hard to deal with those later. So when IE8 ships or I9 or 10 or whatever, and we fix bugs, if you don't put the IE specific fixes in one place, it's going to make it a lot harder to figure out, oh, well, I've got to go search through this file to find this specific hack to take it out. So you just suggest people having like a specialized file for this is my hack for this browser and that browser? Exactly. Um, I pulled up an example. Uh, one of the guys who I've worked closely with before, Dave Shea, he has a website called Bright Creative, and that's his work website. And if you go look at the source, he's taken um, and put in conditional comments that say, if IE7, here's my IE7 uh, hacks, if IE6, these are my IE6 hacks. So that way, he's eliminated those into one specific place. Um, number eight was no easy navigation. I got to say, <laughs> I go to websites all the time, and you try and find something. The example I used is my, my credit card company. I pay that bill once, sometimes even twice a month. And every time I go to that website, do you think I can find the way to pay the credit card within, like, seconds? We need to make sure that when we're creating sites for your, our users, we have an easy way to navigate and that they can they can find the stuff they're looking for. And one of the things I recommended was if you've got someone who is your average audience, have them come down and just play with the site before it's finished. Can they do the things that you ask them to do quickly and easily? 
or do they get lost and start asking you for help? If they're asking you for help or they're not doing it instantly, there's probably something you can do to tweak that example. Well, they, you know, right now in the industry we're facing a lot of advances. We've got Silverlight and WPF and you know, even if you don't have an artistic bone in your body, people are kind of creating new experiences and trying new things. And, and so I, I think new patterns and existing patterns are really important for us to pay attention to make sure that people don't get lost in these crazy interfaces that we create. Yeah, they absolutely are. And that's actually something that uh, I've got two points on that one. The first one was inconsistent site design. So people who don't design their sites in a consistent manner. I had a look at the Seattle uh, traffic website. And if you go through that site, there are multiple different styles on that page and it's a real pain in the butt to sort of figure oh I gotta click here this time but now I gotta click here this time but as well I asked the audience how many people in the audience were designers and I would say about three people put their hand up and there were probably about a hundred people in the room I then said how many people are designers and developers like you your, your primary role is a developer but you could do design work you're okay at it and probably about a third of the room put their hand up and then finally I said, all right, how many of you are pure developers, not a design bone in your body? And the rest put up their hand. And for cases like that, there's a lot of great things you can do. There are a lot of great examples out there that there are pre-built templates that people can download from the Microsoft site. If you go to the IE Developer Center, there are some there. If you go to ASP.net, there's uh, examples there that you can just download and start using so that you don't have to be a, a good designer in order to make a really good-looking website. Cool. Um, my, one of my pet peeves is, is a bad workflow for users. And the example I used on this was Twitter. Twitter's got a really great interface when you hit page one. By default, the, the, mouse, or the, the text cursor is in that text box. So I can start typing away right away and update my site or update my Twitter feed. But if I go to page two, I probably want to continue reading my, through all of my friends' tweets. But by default, the, the cursor is in that text box again. So that if I hit the space bar or if I hit page down, instead of getting a, the next page, yeah. what I expect, moving down, I end up with putting a space in there. So I actually then have to go click outside the text box and then I can hit space or page down. So thinking about how is the user going to use pages beyond page one? So if you're doing any kind of page, uh, separate pages, how are they gonna deal separately with page two or page three? Are, is the workflow gonna be different there? Rich media is, is uh, the next one and it's a really interesting thing because a lot of, a lot of websites have gone to a very rich media interface and it's great it's beautiful it's so much so much more interactive I can see a lot more I can do a lot more with it but there are people who can't for whatever reason use rich media uh, one of the guys who came up to this to me after the session said you know that rich media thing was really interesting because he worked for the Marine Corps and on their computers, they are not allowed to install Flash. That, for them, they can't get to any of the websites. And I talked about uh, one website, a car manufacturer here in the US, that I bought a car from, and you could actually track the production of your car. And so, yeah, it w it's a really neat thing that you can see where your car is. Well, one day I was playing with Internet Explorer, and I had turned off JavaScript on my page, because I was testing out some things, and I decided, I want to go see where my car is. And so I popped over to the website, and sure enough, 
instead of getting the rich media experience, I got this great big long list of text links. I'm like, great, perfect, this is just fine. I can still navigate, they've got everything here. I was, I was happy. And then I clicked on a link and I got a 404 page not found. I'm like, oh, okay, well maybe this link's dead. So I hit the back button and I tried another one. And another 404. And literally every single link on the page didn't go anywhere. So if you're going to take the time to build a rich media website, all of the content that you're using for the rich media still should exist for the, for the plain old HTML site because the text is still going to be the same. It's just some of the images and, and the way the interactivity may not be there. Well, I think SEO helps drive that too because if you think about that a machine needs to read this website as well as a user and, and, and you have that as, as a design feature of your website, hopefully that'll help take care of some of that stuff. But Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's actually my number uh, three item was search engine optimization. People not taking the time to think about how is their browser or how is their site designed for search engine optimization. But number four was obtrusive ads. I think we all know that Advertising is here to stay. When I asked the audience how many people designed websites with ads, about half the people put up their hands. And that really says something interesting and important. We all, like I said, we know ads are here to stay. Ads pay for so many of our websites and they really provide some, some interactivity and some important stuff to our websites. But we need to find ways to make them less obtrusive and put them in, in more interesting places so that I'll actually click on it. There have been studies done that say if there is an ad in, on the left side of the page or on the right side of the page, users more often than not just gloss over those. They don't even look at that. So finding other places to put those where the user's going to see it, where it's not going to be obtrusive, it's not going to flash or take over the whole page. One of the examples I gave, the one of the papers I read on a regular basis. On a about once every two weeks, they have an ad that I load the page and literally the ad will take over the entire page for about five seconds. And that's, that's awful. It's a horrible experience because I want to read the paper. I don't want to look at an ad, but after about five seconds, the ad disappears. Okay, fine, you know, now I can go. Well, if they did that every day, I'd stop going to that website. So they're doing it at an interval that is not too obtrusive. It's still obtrusive, but it's not too obtrusive. Well, and it has to be somewhat obtrusive because what advertisers want is for you to notice. And if you don't notice, then you don't have anybody paying the bills, and then you don't get the content, and it's that whole circle. But Absolutely. So having ads that are there, are visible, is important. But they need to be done in a way that is not going to cause users to run away. Because if you do cause your users to run away, then you don't get the money anyway. So it, it's a balance. My number two was non-designers doing design work. And I talked about that earlier and, and talked about some of the great places where non-designers can go find content. And sometimes it's just a matter of going, okay, you know, I can go download a template and I can use that. If you're, if you're somewhat of a designer and you can do an okay job, Ask a designer friend to give you a little help. There are books out there that are great. I've got a book that has all sorts of different color designs sitting at my desk. So if I'm like, oh, well, you know, I want to use some reds today, I can find contrasting colors that aren't obnoxious, right. that look good and really have a good opportunity. 
And, and Designing Interfaces by Jennifer Tidwell is a really good book as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's plenty of, there are plenty of good books out there. There's lots of resources. There's good places to go and get information and start. And my last one, my number one pet peeve on the web is lousy and out-of-date content. If we're going to keep users coming back to our website, they have to know that the content that we're providing to them is good, that it's up to date, and that they're getting value from looking at this website. If we're giving them information that looks old or doesn't have the latest, they're going to start to lose faith in your website and they're going to stop going there. So you need to keep them up to date and let them know that the information you've got is the latest and greatest. So there's lots of different ways you can do that by putting dates and contact information on your page. That's something we do at Microsoft internally. Most of our intranet sites have a page owner and a last updated time on it. So you know that, oh hey, this is the latest and greatest information. So you, you, you know you're not looking at something old. And this is a, a lot of great advice and, and, and obviously some of it is um, tried and true and some of it is probably some things that, that people haven't maybe thought of yet. How, how does IE fit in the context of dealing with, with some of these issues? You know, IE is, is a, has a lot of tools for developers and designers, and especially with IE8, with the new developer and designer toolbar. It provides easy ways for developers and designers to test their website, to validate their website, to do all sorts of interesting things debugging things. If things aren't working right, they can do stuff like that. And then as well, there's all sorts of new features that really will help drive users to your website. For example, I was talking about lousy and out-of-date content. Well, one way that you can make sure that you've got the most up-to-date content and you're keeping users coming back and, and refreshing them that they know there's new content is by creating a new thing called a web slice. And that web slice is basic, basically a subscribable area on the page. If you think of the idea of RSS feeds, where you've got entire articles or you've got large quantities of data that you're sending out to your user, sometimes RSS feeds are a bit of a pain in the butt. I've got to bring up my RSS reader. If I'm using IE7, I can bring up the RSS reader within IE and I can go look at that. Well, that's a few extra steps and it takes me away from my normal workflow and I have to go look to see if there's anything new. With web slices, I get this um, item on my favorites bar. And when items are refreshed, it has this gentle glow and it's got a bold look to it. And I can click on it and it drops down this little window where it shows me some live content. And that content is pulled directly from the web page. So one of the examples that I love and I've got on my machine is I've got a Facebook example. So my Facebook friends updates are all up there. So when my friends update their Facebook status, I get a little up, a little, hey, Notification, this is here. Your friends have updated. So if you've subscribed to say 10 slices though, are you going to have 10 different things flashing on the screen? Well, so they'll, they'll update on a prescribed time. So you can set that time to say, I want this one only to update once a day. I want this one to update every you know, hour, that kind of thing. So what you end up with is some will flash at different times. Okay. But whenever there's new content, they'll update. And as, as you get more, because, you know, as, as total nerds, you know, we subscribe to probably a lot of uh, RSS feeds. 
But when I talk to my friends and my family and I even mention RSS, you know, the first thing I get is the deer in the headlights look and they're just, I have no idea. Absolutely. And that's, that's the thing about web slices. RSS feeds are, are kind of geeky. My mom doesn't understand RSS feeds, but my mom will understand web slices. I've, I've actually explained them to her and said, hey, this area on your page that you really like, my mom's into, into dog shows. She's got two uh, wire hair fox terriers that she shows. And, you know, on a regular basis, she's calling me to tell me how these dogs are doing in the dog shows. And she's watching how other dogs are doing. Well, if she could have a web slice that says, hey, there's a dog show coming to your area, or, hey, this other dog over here is doing really well, she can see that information when she wants to see it. And she doesn't have to do any extra work. She doesn't have to go to the web page. But the cool thing is, as a web page author, we're keeping her coming to our web page. But when she drops that box down, she sees a little preview, she can click on that and be directed to my page again. And so as, they, as your mom finds 30 dogs that she wants to watch, how will that stack up in the browser window, though? So you'll have very much like you have today when you've got a lot of favorites across your favorites bar. They'll just all get shrunk down a little bit each time. Okay. And then and you can set it up to where you can put it to a certain point to click on it and have like a drop-down list. You can see them all at one time or something like that. Uh, right now, we haven't really got into folders on that. So we'll see what happens in the, in the next beta. Okay. Now... This, this is something right now that is IE only, but you're implementing this as uh, a, a standard that you're proposing to the, is it going directly to W3C? So we're not giving it to the W3C, but we're opening it to the community as uh, a community license program. So anybody can implement this okay. in their browser. Have you had any response from, from Firefox or any of the other browsers? You know, we haven't heard anything from the browser vendors themselves. We'll see what happens. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about activities and how that will help your mom as well. Activities are really a, a really easy way of linking your user back to a service that you've got on your site. So the, the example I use a lot is if you're trying to do a search for something and you want to find out where a specific address is or something like that, today what you have to do is you go copy the address, you open a new tab, you go to Live Maps or Google Maps or whatever, then you go and you, you paste the address in and you click go. Well, sometimes that's, that's what, three, four steps you got to go through? With activities, you can actually highlight the address, and then a little glyph pops up on the page. You can click that glyph, and you get a list of activities that you can do with that specific item. So when you click it, you get the list, and there may be a map with Live Maps, or a map with Google Maps, or whatever. Blog with this. Once you click that, it'll actually send that data back to the web service that you're providing, and it'll open a new tab with that information. So really, I've gone from copying and pasting and opening new tabs and going to web pages to a simple highlight, right click, click on the service that I want. Okay. Now, how, what's it like for a developer to set that up? So you have to set up a web service to, to accept the correct parameters, but then in the markup, what are you having to change? So for a web developer, you can use existing services. If you've already got a web service or if you've already got a website that takes in some context in the, in the URL string, you can just use that. And all you have to do is write an XML file. It's probably about 20 lines of XML. It's super easy to write. Basically, all you say is, hey, I've got this service. This is what it does. This is, take this selection, put it here in this link, and then go to this link. And how do you tie it into the HTML, though? 
And so what you would do is you install that uh, on the user's machine. So the user has to go to your site first, okay. and they install that service, much like they would install an add-in or something like that. And then they can use that web service any, to, on any site they go to. So they don't have to be on your site. Okay. So think of it much like um, existing add-ons or things like that. Okay. And when the experience for the add-on, is it, uh, you know, does it just pop up a dialogue and they can choose which one they want and then it'll add it in? Or So what happens is, uh, for a developer, there's a, uh, a JavaScript function that they can call that says, install this add-on. So what you could do is um, have a button on your page that says install the install Pete's activity. You click that button, it runs some JavaScript, IE pops up and says, hey, you're trying to install Pete's activity. Do you want to install this activity? Yes or no? You click yes, and the activity gets installed. Then as you go surfing through websites and you highlight your text, you get that. And so it is just a web service, so it's not like you're not constrained to only using yours, like with, the, with Ajax, where you have to go back to the same server, you can use different servers all over the web. Absolutely, so one of the things that I did, um, I've been ordering a bunch of stuff online lately, and so I've been getting uh, UPS shipping numbers. So I created just a simple little activity that points to the UPS tracking site. So I highlight my tracking number, right click on my item, click track on UPS, and it opens a new tab, takes me to the UPS website. So as a non-UPS developer, because I don't work for UPS, right. I can install that service. And so I've done that on my machine. Very cool. And, and when you're sending, uh, as the activity sends the information over to the web service, is it just what you selected, or does it send over the underlying HTML of what you've selected? So it sends just what you've selected, yes. Um, but the other thing that you can do is you can have different types of context. So it'll either highlight a, H or a, a link, or you can send the text. And so uh, I guess the beta 2 of IE8 is going to be out in August? Yeah, so Bill Gates, uh, really exciting, announced that beta 2 will be available uh, in August. And so we'll see some really cool stuff then. And will we be able to install that side by side with IE7? No, unfortunately not. Installing IE side by side is still something we can't do. What we do offer for people is DVDs uh, here at TechEd, but for those people who aren't at TechEd, you can go to the MSDN Center uh, at msdn.com forward slash IE, and you can download virtual PC images that have IE6 on it. You can download another one with IE7, and you can download a third one with IE8. Okay. And that way, people can test their website side by side without anything. We don't like people to use, there's a couple hacks out there that allow you to install IE6, 7, and 8 side by side. But the problem is you end up with this Frankenstein build. Mm -hmm. And when you replace one thing, you don't always replace other things. For example, there's a whole new uh, networking stack that came with IE7 and IE8. Well, if you install IE7 on a, on a Windows XP machine, and then you install this side by side, you end up with... IE6 rendering engine plus the IE7 networking stack. Right. That's not what my mom uses. Right. So it's not what your customers are truly going to see. It's not a true experience. And you know what? It's, it's bits that were never meant to work together. So you, your system becomes kind of crazy sometimes. And don't be surprised if things break at that point. Exactly, exactly. So if people want to find more information about you, where should they go? 
They should check out my blog at blogs.msdn.com forward slash Pete L. Or they can check out my Twitter feed at uh, twitter.com forward slash Pete L.E. Right on. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you. You know, I'm really looking forward to talking to Pete more about what's coming from Internet Explorer because when Beta 2 comes out, we'll hopefully have a, a better glance at what's going to be coming up for, uh, for consumers and moms and dads and friends alike. So the user experience stuff coming up for IE should be very cool. Make sure to check out his blog, his website, his Twitter feed. There's always good stuff going on over there. This is Craig Shoemaker, and I'll be talking to you soon. Pixelate Radio, on the web at getpixelated.com. All rights reserved, copyright 2008. Infragistics, powering the presentation layer. Infragistics.com.